Thank you very much, Jesse, and to Norman uh, for leading us. Now, we're in Luke's Gospel, and today we are in Luke chapter 7 and verses 36 to 50. If you've got a church Bible here, that's page 865. Page 865, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. The occasion is a dinner party in the home of a man called Simon the Pharisee to which Jesus is invited. Luke 7, 36. This is the Word of God. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now the occasion, as I said, is a dinner party in the home of one of the Pharisees, one of the Jewish religious leaders, a man called Simon. Why Simon invited Jesus to his home, we are not told. But it is clear from Luke's account that he is, Simon is at best, skeptical towards Jesus, but more likely hostile against him. Simon's invitation to Jesus and his respectful words, verse 40, say it, teacher, mask a cold and antagonistic heart. How do we know? Well, four times Luke refers to Simon as the Pharisee. 
Just a few verses before our passage, Luke records, chapter 7, verse 30. The Pharisees and the lawyers, that is the teachers of the Jewish law, rejected the purposes of God for themselves. Simon is a Pharisee. And I think we're meant to see Simon is an example of what it looks like to reject the purposes of God for himself. And Luke wants us to make that connection. And I think, though, the incontrovertible evidence that Simon is antagonistic towards Jesus is that he does not extend to Jesus any of the conventions and courtesies that you would extend to a guest. He did not give Jesus water for his feet. That would have been the least you would do. He did not greet Jesus with a kiss. That would be normal. He did not anoint Jesus' head with oil. Not to do these things in the Eastern culture was scandalous. They were the basic conventions of the day. None of them extended by the host to Jesus. Now, would the other guests have seen? Maybe, maybe not. Would they have seen through Simon? Would they have seen what he really thought of Jesus? On the surface, he had invited Jesus to his home. On the surface, his dialogue is respectful. Say it, teacher. Say it, teacher. I think some of them may have seen through him, but most of them not. The respectable veneer that he created. One person did see through him and always sees through us, Jesus. Now, let me just pause there. Nobody sees us as we truly are. And that includes us. How do we see ourselves? Jesus sees all. He sees the real state of our hearts. Now, we might put on some kind of act, well, we all do. We might go to church, read our Bible, say our prayers, be in leadership in a church, preach a sermon, dedicate kids, bring our children for dedication, whatever it is we do. We might be well thought of by others in our communities and so on and so forth and by ourselves, but if there is a veneer, Jesus will see straight through it. Always. Now, Simon was a wealthy man, and I can imagine him living in, I don't know what the equivalent would be, a kind of five-bedroom kind of luxury home with one or two extensions on it, a nice veranda and whatever. But in the ancient world, houses of wealthy people like Simon would have a courtyard in the middle of them for occasions such as dinner parties. And the guests would um, recline around a central table, and they would be on couches, leaning on their left arm, facing inwards, their feet facing outwards, eating with their, their right hand. As one Bible writer puts it, they would look like a tin of sardines. So there they are, facing in Jesus, one of them. Imagine there's 12 or so people in this uh, courtyard. Now, these dinner parties were not private. They were public occasions. They were public occasions. And folks from the city, the town, the villages uh, would be uh, welcome to come and to observe from the sidelines. 
to observe the erudite conversation, to observe the host, to observe the, the, the language spread they put on, and the honored guests that would be there. And these onlookers would gather in the perimeter of the courtyard. That was just normal. But then from the shadows, a woman appears. And behold, Luke records, a woman of the city. Now, the language is emphatic. It would be something like this. Luke, do you see? Do you see what I see? All eyes turn to this woman, sharp intakes of breath, a well-known, infamous woman of the city. Almost certainly, Luke is telling us that this woman was a prostitute. Why was she there? Not because it was a kind of public occasion. She just wouldn't be accepted or acceptable in such a public occasion or indeed any occasion like this. She was there because she had, Luke tells us, learned that Jesus would be in the Pharisee's house. She wanted to see Jesus. She wanted to come to him. Why? There is intention in her mind and in her heart. Why? Out of gratitude, out of thanks. For what? Because she had, past tense, received forgiveness from Jesus. How do we know that she had? Well, verse 47, Jesus says, her sins are forgiven. That's past tense. He says it directly to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven, past tense. Then a third time, verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How had she been forgiven? Well, she may have heard Jesus preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. She may have had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus herself. We don't know. What we do know is that she has been forgiven, that Jesus' gospel has penetrated her heart. She has been convicted of her sin. Guilt has welled up in her life, and she has reached out in faith to Him. And she wants to come to Him to express her gratitude and her love. With her, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment, something precious she owned. Might she be able to use it to anoint Jesus? So there she is in the shadows watching this scene. Maybe she had been alert to observe that this man that she had reached out to as her Savior, no one had washed his feet. Simon had not greeted him with a kiss as was conventional, let alone anoint his head with oil. So she, out of love for her Savior, came out of the shadows and stood at his feet. I picture it in your minds were meant to One of the things that's struck us if we've been watching any of the Olympics is how emotional many of the athletes have been. And these are only the ones who have won. What about the vast, vast numbers who haven't won but have given their lives just to get there? Can you remember any occasion in your life where you have really wept 
I mean, cried maybe, but wept the uncontrollable outpouring of tears. It's happened a few times in my life. Once in church, I remember the occasion. You just couldn't stop crying. The kind of weeping where you get wet. And this woman, with all that had gone on and the forgiveness that Jesus had brought to her life and the radical change that had come upon her because of it and the guilt that had gone, and she had sinned much. She had sinned a great deal, a flagrant life of disobedience, damaging life of others. You imagine the impact on our family life. And she is overcome with emotion as she stood at the feet of her Savior. And her tears flowed, and these tears began to wet his feet, his feet that had not been washed, her tears making rivulets in the dirt on his feet. She had no towel. She had not come prepared. This is no act. This is no planned event on her part. She just wanted to come to see Jesus, to be with him. And so she lets down her hair. To let down your hair in public is an unguarded thing to do. I don't think she thought about it. She just did it because she needed something to wipe his feet. She must have looked, imagine in your mind, a mess. Tears staining her face. Tears on Jesus' feet. Mud on his feet. Her hair wiping off the mud and wiping off her tears. Disheveled, undone, laid bare and disarmed. The physical state revealing the inward state of her life. Disheveled, undone, disarmed. Laid bare, unguarded, love. And then she took his feet in her hands. I guess she would have knelt down. And she anointed them with the oil and began to kiss them. She began to cover them in kisses, is the Greek. Pour kisses on them. Notice she is not anointing his head with oil. She is not kissing his cheek. She is anointing and kissing his feet. In humility and in thankfulness. She is expressing her deep love to Jesus because she has been forgiven. She feels that forgiveness. Her lifestyle was so wrong, so flagrant, so abusive. Her guilt was so deep, and yet Jesus had forgiven her. He had put a new heart in her. She had never known life like this. She had never known this feeling. She had never known that liberation. She had never known the acceptance of love unconditionally of another She is a beautiful picture of a forgiven sinner. You know, it is one thing to know the gospel, to know that the message of the gospel is repent for the forgiveness of your sins. It is also important that we are clear in our minds what a forgiven sinner is like, looks like, acts like, feels like, speaks like. A beautiful picture. Even more beautiful is the picture of her Savior, Jesus. All around him, the other guests were drawing back in disapproval, but not Jesus. Honestly, in your heart, what would you make of this scene? What would you make of this woman? How would you react to her if she came into that dinner party? What would you think? What would you do? Well, Simon, 
His thoughts are exposed to us. Simon said to himself, verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. What a shocking indictment that is. Simon's assumption is that if Jesus knew who she was, he would have had nothing to do with her. Of course, Jesus knew exactly who she was and was glad to forgive her to save her. Now, we have heard Simon's assessment. What do you make of this woman? Do you think Jesus came for people like her? Well, many of us will answer yes. Of course he did. Some of us might answer, no, she doesn't deserve it. She's made our bed, literally let her lie in it. But I guess most of us would say, yes, Jesus came for people like her. She needs forgiveness. She does need forgiveness. Do you think people like this woman will come to Jesus for forgiveness? Yes. We have churches connected with Chalmers where people with lives that are completely disordered have come to Jesus for forgiveness. They do. Their lives are changed. Do you think Jesus is glad to forgive her? Yes. Let me ask a different question. What do you make, honestly, in your heart of her encounter with Jesus? What do you make of her unguarded emotions? What do you make of her overwhelming sense of thanksgiving? Her inability to stop crying. Now, we do not need to be like that in public. But we do need to be like that with Jesus. Not all of the time. But when we are converted, and at times in our Christian life, undone, disheveled, weeping, deeply conscious of our sin, overcome by the beautiful Savior and His forgiveness. Let me give you some words that express what Luke describes as a picture. Luke describes how she was. Let me give you some words. Freddie will preach on them tonight that describe what someone in that situation might say to Jesus. Have mercy on me, O God. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my sins. My sins are ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Behold, you delight in truth. In other words, 
God, Jesus, you delight in me speaking candidly and honestly with you about my sin. That is a believer speaking to Jesus about their ongoing sin. When did you speak? Have you spoken? Do you speak like that to Jesus as a Christian? When you became a Christian, were you so moved in your soul under conviction of sin and in the grace of forgiveness that you were overcome with emotion and love for him like this woman and you spoke like David in the psalm? Has that been your experience? Is that your experience? Not all of the time, but sometime. And I really think Luke is saying to us, it must be, it must be. It's not manufactured tears. It's not any of that. It might not even be tears. It's the genuine contrition and emotion of a forgiven sinner. But it's genuine and it's real and it flows over in love. Perhaps you have never felt able to be totally unguarded before Jesus, acknowledging your sinful hearts and the wonder, the glorious truth that he is pleased to forgive you. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're just cold to the gospel, shutting it out, like Simon at a distance, reluctant to be drawn in, disapproving of this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, the gospel gets you in your heart and you suddenly realize that you have been forgiven and there is that desire in you to unguardedly and in a candid way just call it out to Jesus as it is. Jesus, this is what I have done in my life. This is the kind of person I am. These are the thoughts that I have. This is who I am. Thank you for forgiving me. Why does it matter that we need to be unguarded before Jesus, acknowledging our sinful hearts? Why does it matter? Well, here's the logic. Because a true understanding and awareness of our sinful hearts and the gracious forgiveness of Jesus is the grounds and the basis of our love for Jesus. Appreciate your forgiveness that will issue in a depth of devotion and a depth of devotion will issue in committed and zealous Christian service. People who serve the Lord with all their hearts over a lifetime are people who love Jesus. People who love Jesus deeply are people who always are conscious of the depth of the forgiveness that they have received through him. Think of the Apostle Paul. He loved Jesus and served him with all his heart behind it all, a deep, deep awareness of the grace Jesus had extended to him. Saul, as he was known before his convention, had done terrible things. Yet Jesus forgave him. Paul never forgot who he once was, that he had been forgiven much. And so he had a depth of love for Jesus and a depth of devotion in his service. John Newton who did an enormous amount of harm 
responsible for thousands of people's deaths as a slave trader, when he was converted, really, really understood forgiveness, and so he wrote Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. An autobiographical hymn. Let me bring it closer to home. A young man that I know with a good upbringing who blew it all in every possible way you can imagine and caused great distress to those around him and his family and friends. And yet Jesus found him with the gospel and he was converted and he was forgiven. And you could not meet a young man today who is more zealous and more devoted in his love for Jesus And you ask him why, and he said, because Jesus has forgiven my sins. And there are people in churches connected to Chalmers who have been saved from a life of drug addiction and worse, people who caused a lot of harm to others. And Jesus has forgiven them, and they know how much he has forgiven them. They have been forgiven much. They have. They have been forgiven lives that were totally dissolute and totally destructive to other people's lives, and they love Jesus for the fact that He has freely forgiven them, and they serve Him with all their hearts. Now, here is the sting in the tail in this passage. You and I are not like these people. We're just not. I mean, we really aren't. Our lives are much more like Simon's. We're respectable middle class. We can't help that. It's what we are. Perhaps we've grown up in a Christian home, a Christian church. We're a second or a third generation Christian. I am a second generation Christian. I never knew anything other than church. I never knew anything other than the gospel. I've never been in a church that hasn't preached the gospel. And I got to an age and stage as a teenager when I understood the gospel. I understood that I am a sinful person and that Jesus died for my sins. And I believed, genuinely, I believed. And I never look back, and it's true and it's genuine. But is my experience like this woman's? Undone, disarmed, convicted, shocked, thankful, loving, serving. Read with me from verse 40. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. One moneylender, two debtors, one with a big debt, one with a small debt. Neither can pay the debt. The moneylender cancels both debts. Which of the debtors will love the moneylender more? Answer, the one who has the bigger debt cancelled. Right answer. Just take it as it is, the parable. What does it mean? Well, it means that the woman in Luke's account is like the person who owed the large debt. Let me read from Luke's text, verse 44. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. She has anointed my feet with ointment. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. In other words, she loved much. Her devotion for Jesus shows how much she is conscious of her forgiveness. She loved much because she has been forgiven much. That's exactly what we see here. Think of her life. Totally changed. Forgiven. No more guilt. No more shame. So she loved him with all her heart because she had been forgiven much. So is Simon the person in Luke's account who is like the debtor who owed a small debt? What does Jesus say to Simon? Verse 44, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. He who is forgiven little loves little. Is that Simon? Well, it doesn't seem he loves Jesus at all. Now, what does all this mean? What does it mean for you and me as middle-class, respectable people, as most of us, all of us are? People whose lives are not like this woman. People whose lives are not like the Apostle Paul. People whose lives are not like John Newton before his conversion. People whose lives have never been like that young man who kicked over the traces and was rescued by Jesus. People who have not been drug addicts, prostitutes, this, that, or the other. Wrecking families. It can't be saying that the message of forgiveness is only for people like that. That would mean most of us would not be forgiven because we are not living a flagrant sinful life like her. And it cannot mean that a deep love and devotion for Jesus that issues in a life of service is only possible for the likes of this woman and not for people like us. Now, what is the point then? Well, I think it's this, and I have certainly found it to be immensely helpful. Most of us, on the face of it, are not living flagrant lives of sin like this woman or like the Apostle Paul or like John Newton or people we know who have been saved from dark and destructive lives. Most of us, on the face of it, are like the debtor who owed 50. And the point is this. The debtor who owed 50 is no less indebted. The debtor who owed 50 is no more able to pay off the debt His only hope is the money lender will let him off. But the debtor who owes 50 is harder to persuade that he will not ever be able to pay off the debt. You see the point? The debtor who owes 500 knows they will never pay it off. The respectable person who sins a little compared to that woman will think they will be able 
to deal with it, to match up, to be good enough, but they never will, they never can. You see why it's so difficult for middle-class people in a Western civilization to come to terms with their need of forgiveness? You see why evangelism is so hard in our culture? You see why so many Christians in our culture, while they are forgiven their sins, do not serve Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength because they do not love him with a deep devotion because they have not come to terms with the lavish forgiveness and generosity that is as necessary for a debt of 50 as it is for a debt of 500. Oh, but we are not living lives of fragrant sin. I know you're not, Jesus says, but you need my forgiveness as much as anyone else. I don't think Simon learned the lesson. He couldn't stomach what Jesus said to him. It's striking how Luke's account ends with the woman who started in the shadows in the foreground. She is forgiven. Simon, who started in the foreground, recedes into the background. There is no clear statement from Jesus that he is forgiven. We take it that he is not. Now, you see the extremes here, a prostitute in eternity, a religious leader in hell. It's shocking. And yet moving. And yet challenging. And we find ourselves by default, by nature, where Simon is, respectable, well thought of, well thought of, and please we must not, like him, slink into the shadows, keeping Jesus at arm's length and refuse to come to terms with the fact that that woman is where we must all be. So, let me finish. What do you make of Jesus? Maybe you are like the woman, suddenly coming to terms with a wonderful truth that Jesus wants to forgive you. Well, come to him and believe in him. Or are you skeptical like Simon, keeping Jesus at arm's length? As you listen to an, another sermon, will you walk away from him and disappear back into the shadows? People tell you you're a good person, you think you are, and you are. But on Judgment Day, here's what will happen, as it will happen for us all. Simon, Jesus will say on Judgment Day, I have something to say to you. You did not honor me. You did not hallow my name. You did not listen and obey my word and sort out who I am and make a decision in life about me. You did not love me. You hardly gave me the time of day. You did not love me. I loved you. I died for you, but you did not love me. And now you will enter into everlasting judgment, as you must. Or are you persuaded that whoever you are, you are, we are sinful and need the forgiveness Jesus offers? I think most of us are there. But 
And the last word is to those of us who are there, who are converted, who have come with genuine repentance to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. I want to ask us this. Have we, are we, like this woman, candid, honest? Is our language, the language of Psalm 51, come and listen tonight and find words that express what you see in this woman's life. Have we faced up to Jesus honestly about our sin? It matters because the depth of our understanding of forgiveness issues in the depth of our love and devotion to Jesus issues in the depth of our commitment to serve him. It cashes out, for example, in will I tell people about the Lord Jesus in evangelism? No amount of motivation and exhortation will do that for us. What will do that for us is to be undone by the forgiveness of our sins. Can I ask us all as Christians to take some time today to come to Jesus in prayer? Use Psalm 51 tonight to do that. Listen to Will's sermon from last Sunday night. Very helpful. And be candid, honest, unguarded with Jesus. Not with anyone else. We don't need to be accountable to each other as much as to Jesus. This woman in Luke's account is an example to us in a very powerful way. To be at Jesus' feet like she was, overcome with emotion of a thankful heart. And who would you rather be at the end of this account? Would you like to be Simon? Or this woman? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Where is the place of peace and love, and service, and forgiveness. Where is the, the warm heart to Jesus? Who is in the shadows? Who is out of the shadows? Who is safe? Who is not? So go home and talk honestly to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words, powerful words, powerful accounts. Help us to be real and true as Christians, candid and honest about our sin, undone, disheveled, disarmed by your mercy. Lord, thank you for the very relevant and practical teaching in a passage like this. And we pray, Lord, for this little season last Sunday night, this Sunday night, and this morning, when we consider what the forgiven life is like. Oh, there are challenges. But what a good life it is. What a good way to spend one's life. What a good position to be in. Free of cynicism. Free of self-righteousness undone, repentant, believer in Jesus.
deeply thankful. Changed hearts, changed lives. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.